And now we're going to hear from the Bible that Rachel's going to explore and expand to us, um, rounding off our Hope Declared series. So, yeah, Rachel, do you want to come up and we'll... we'll yeah. <laughs> Very polite round of applause. Rachel, it's been such a, such a thrill to um, just hear you grow in confidence um, sort of like, you know, in, in preaching. Can I just pray for you? that um, Yeah, Lord God, we just pray for Rachel that you'd continue to give her the words to say. Um, we thank you for the truth that's in, in the Bible. And uh, we just pray that you help Rachel just explain that to us in a way that we can understand and the way that we can grow in a knowledge of you this morning. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Um, yeah, so it is my privilege this morning to share God's word with you. Um, it's been a great short series this time round. Um, we've been going through the book of Haggai as a church uh, over the past three weeks, and today we've got um, to chapter 2, um, verse 20. Um, so we've got three more verses left out of this book. Um, so not huge amounts to read, but a lot to unpack this morning. So we're going to um, read that in a moment. Um, if you want to turn to your Bibles or your Bible app, or the text will come up on the screen. If you haven't got either of those, that's fine. But I'll read that in a minute. But before we get to the passage, I just want to see where we've come from and how we've landed here. Um, so at the time of Haggai writing this, a Persian king, King Darius, ruled over Babylon. But if we were, going to back, uh, were to go back a little bit of more time to who was ruling prior to this, we'd eventually get back to King David. A lot of us might have heard about King David before. My, my four-year-old son has learned about him uh, at school this week, which is really exciting. But he um, was a young shepherd boy who um, stood before a giant and managed to uh, get his slingshot and throw a stone at him and kill him. So he was this young shepherd boy, but he had great victories. He um, was praised by those around him for this um, amazing event. And he was also a really talented musician. Everyone loved him. Um, he probably had the most amazing voice and he could play uh, probably many instruments. Um, and he was a mighty king. He knew and he loved God. And God blessed him and used him hugely. God actually called him his servant. And this was a huge privilege. To be called God's servant, it was a huge privilege. And this is who David was. God uh, saw him and he loved him and he blessed him. And God promised that the line of David would continue forever and that a Messiah would be born in his family line. And during his reign, God blessed the people, his people with peace and prosperity and they were able to enjoy the benefits that God had given them. So David was this mighty man of God. But after King David, the kings didn't look exactly the same as him and they didn't act in the way that he did. And a few centuries after King David ruled, we could read in the book of Jeremiah that God actually says to a descendant of David, King Jehoiakim, that he's going to cast him away and not bless his descendants anymore. Because of the way that he was living, it was sinful, it was evil, it was not how God had planned. And then things took a turn for the worse for the line of David. If we fast forward a little to where we are now in Haggai, as I just said, the throne was taken over by the Persians with King Darius, as I've just mentioned, he was ruling now over the people of God, but he didn't love God. He didn't worship the true God. And then we're going to read it in a minute, but we read the Zerubbabel. So he was a great, 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 and a few more greats, grandsons of King David. So he, being in the line of David, should have been king. But because of the complete mess up of those ruling, he never actually became king. But instead, he was made a governor, the governor of Judah. So he was far from what his great ancestors were like. 
And he was essentially a nobody important, and he had just had his governor role to play. So that's where we've got to today. Um, in this final passage, uh, final section in Haggai 2, um, this continues from what we read about last week. Um, thankfully, Haggai um, dates his letters, so we can read that this is actually a continuation from what we heard um, Phil speak about last week. Um, but today, he's asked to speak to Zerubbabel, this governor. So let's read it together. It's verse 20 um, to the end. It says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. What a message here that Haggai has to pass on. I wonder what Zerubbabel was thinking of when he heard this. He might have had to sit down. He might have had to have a cup of tea. I'm sure he'd probably had a few biscuits. I know I would have done. And he would have been thinking, okay, so God's going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to overthrow kingdoms. He's going to destroy the strength of nations. He's going to overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the nations will war against the nations. Oh, and that's not all. He's chosen me. He's calling me his servant, and he's going to make me like a signet ring. No one would ever talk to a governor like that. Only great kings, great kings like his ancestor David, were called out by name, called God's servant. This was out of the ordinary for people like Zerubbabel. It was as if this was, you could imagine this to be a film, can you? This one of these battle films, this destruction films. Not, not, not the kind of film that I tend to watch, really. Um, but the kind of, you can imagine it, the scene. Um, and he was the underdog character in this, in this high action-packed film with mighty rulers and kings battling against each other. But he was the one that was kind of randomly told what was going on. And then to the surprise of all the other characters in the film, he was the one that ended up with the most important role to play. God himself is the one who orchestrates all things. And this is not the only time in the Bible that we kind of see this descriptive imagery before. We see similar language used throughout the Bible describing God's ultimate power and his ability to shake the heavens and the earth. And this is not just because he's angry. It's not just because he's stamping his feet and wanting to get his own way. But this is what it looks like when God moves. He's saying that one day he's going to come back and this is what it's going to look like. When God comes back in power, things are going to happen. We're going to know about it. And he's going to come back to be with his people. Have a little think about what we see in nature. We see, um, we see storms, don't we? You, you've been, we've all been in thunderstorms when it's overhead and you kind of like feel it. Um, you kind of think, oh, what was that? You can physically fear, uh, feel and he hear the impact of a storm. And obviously in an earthquake, not many of us, maybe some of us have been in an earthquake before, but you can physically feel the ground shaking. These are just small glimpses of what our great God is capable of. He has all power and all authority, and he has the ability to shake things up. And just by reading this passage alone, we can see a number of times how much authority God has. And there's no denying that when God has a purpose, his plans happen. There's no doubt about that. He, it says here that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I am about to destroy the strength of kingdoms. I will take you. I have chosen you. This is the power that God has got. 
He has the power to do anything he wants. He's not just this filmmaker making it just for dramatic effect, though. But he knows that this is the only way that in the end it's all going to be perfect again. And with the authority of just his voice, when he speaks, things obey him. We can see that in the, in the Genesis story, in the creation story, that when he speaks, when he spoke, things came into existence. And it's going to be the same here. When he will speak, the heavens and the earth will shake and things will be changed. We don't know all the details of how and when this is going to happen, but we can read about it in the Bible. In the, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it says that the Lord will create a new heaven and a new earth. It already says that, and, and the former things shall not be remembered. And then in the New Testament, in Revelation 21, we can read a little bit more about what that's going to look like. When God is at work, we will know about it. When God moves, things are shaken up. And also, what, with what God says, these things will be fulfilled. And this is the hope that we can live with today. He's saying that one day nations will be crushed and made to bow before him. That means that injustices that we see here on earth, they'll be made right. The, one, the people that are vulnerable, the people that are lost, the people that we know, they will be cared for. The oppressed will live in freedom and God will rule once again through his son, his Messiah. This is God's good plan and this is the message that he wants to be heard today. But what has the rubber ball got to do with this? Well, let's read that last verse again, verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. As I said earlier, I wonder what he was thinking about at this point. Haggai is speaking directly to uh, Zerubbabel straight to his heart. So previously in the book, we, he's been talking to Joshua and, and Zerubbabel, but also the people of God, but this time it's straight to Zerubbabel only. And he's saying that on that day, when God returns, he's going to take Zerubbabel and make him like a signet ring. So what is a signet ring? Well, in some cultures today, wearing a signet ring signifies social status, indicating that the wearer belongs to a certain group of people um, or class. And in other cultures, they're actually given as heirlooms, and passed down through generations as a symbol of family heritage. And in the Bible, signet rings were used by kings, and this showed their authority and allowed them to sign things like contracts and documents. And one of the first places in the Bible that we see this symbol was in Genesis, when Pharaoh gave his signet ring to Joseph. The Lord gave uh, Joseph favour in Pharaoh's sight, and Pharaoh was saying, well, yeah, you can have my signet ring, and you can do things in my name. And, it made Joseph, and he made Joseph second in command. The ring was Pharaoh's signature. And now because Joseph had it, it allowed him to have power and authority, the same as Pharaoh. And it allowed him to sign checks and documents in Pharaoh's name. It carried his power. And in the New Testament, we also see the story of the father and the prodigal son. When the son returned back to his father, the father took off his ring and gave it to his son. He was saying, well, this is still my son. He is still part of who I am. And these are not just nice goodwill gestures, but these are really significant life-changing moments. Imagine being stopped in the street by the president. You'll probably be thinking, well, why is he in Peterborough? But anyway, you probably think, well, uh, okay, hi, president. Um, and he's saying, well, hey, I've just chosen you to give you a special gift. 
And this is the greatest gift that I could ever give you. And that is to have my authority and do things in my name. This authority will give you the power to, to speak to people. It will give you the power to, to change things. It will do all these things that you couldn't do before. So go, go and speak to people and say, well, I can do things because I've got the authority of the president. And they will listen to you because they know that I have sent you. They, know, they will know that I've allowed you to do this. And now suddenly everything changes. Your life goes from being a little nobody, going maybe going to the park or going to work or whatever you do. I know I go to the park a lot, but that's okay. Um, and you're just getting along with your own life, but, but now you've got the president's authority and power at your fingertips. This will be life-changing for you. You'll probably want to phone your best friend or change your social status, social media status, and tell everyone the news and start doing some things that you couldn't do before. So in Haggai, we don't see this physical ring being passed on here. But what's clear is what God is saying to Zerubbabel. He's saying that I'm going to set you as a signet ring with a sign of my sovereign presence and authority. This is not just passing a nice family heirloom down the generations, but this is the king of kings giving his authority to Zerubbabel. And this is really significant at this point because this is now back in the line of David. God made a covenant with David that he's going to establish his throne forever. But then, uh, as we read in Jeremiah, as I said earlier, it says, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my hand, on my right hand, I would still pull you off. This is where they were at. This is where they were at this point. But amazingly, God chose the rubble to continue the work he'd started with David. His promises never fail. <coughs> Zerubbabel was an unlikely leader, someone that wasn't going to get chosen. But God's plans were being fulfilled at this point. God has stripped away the signet ring from his ancestors, but it seems now that it was being reversed with God saying, now you're going to be in the, my presence on earth and you will bear my mark and you will leave an imprint on everything you touch. But again, why him? He was just a governor. At this point, he was a temple building project manager. And he was far from being a king or anything really important. He definitely had great ancestors. We know about them. But God didn't mention those in this passage, in this prophecy. But he did call Zerubbabel by name. And he made a promise to him because he had seen that he was faithful and that he was obedient. And when God has a plan, it's always good, even if it's somewhat surprising. So what happened to Zerubbabel? Well, we aren't really told much more about him in the Bible, but we know he wasn't a king. He didn't have this huge party celebrating him and this huge status that you recognise with royalty. But we do see Zerubbabel found later in the, in the New Testament. I wonder if you've read your New Testament. Maybe you've read Matthew chapter 1. Maybe you've skim-read this one because it's the genealogies of Jesus, all those names. Well, if we read Matthew chapter 1 or Luke 3, we can actually see the name of Zerubbabel in them. He's in both lines. He's in Mary, mother of Jesus, and of Joseph. So he had this really important role to play in God's amazing plan and design. God had promised that Zerubbabel would be like a signet ring, but Zerubbabel was not actually the final answer here. The promise given to him was not actually for him directly, but it was for his descendant, and this was Jesus. This was the future Messiah, Jesus. Some of you may have read the Jesus Storybook Bible before. 
It's one of my favourite Bibles. It's a Bible written specifically for kids. And at the end of each chapter, it always ends with a sentence like, but this was not the end. There's something better coming. Something that would come and change the world. And this is basically what Haggai is getting to at this point. This passage is much more than just looking at Zerubbabel, who was rebuilding God's temple. It's actually pointing to the greatest gift of all, the true son of David, the true king, Jesus Christ. And this wouldn't really look like the best-selling uh, action-packed film that we could think of, with all the glitter and the glamour and all those CGI moments that draw you in and take your breath away. If this was a film, this would look completely different and most likely unremarkable. Because when we think of who a king is, when we think of who a ruler is, and what they might own and what they might have, we can easily think of palaces and authority and power. Kings like, uh, kings like King David had these. But Jesus, who was a descendant of the mighty king, wasn't this great earthly king. He wasn't born into royalty or had any of the benefits that we associate kings to have. But instead, he entered the world in a stable. He entered the world in poverty and obscurity, in controversy and humility. More like the slightly obscure, not kings are rubbable. He was gentle. He was merciful. He was faithful and he was forgiving. Jesus lived a life serving those around him. He took the time to speak and to be close with all sorts of people especially the outcasts of society that no one else would even dare go near. Jesus spent time with his father in his father's house, getting to know his father, praying to his father, and wanting to follow his lead. He spent time with his mum and his family and his friends, caring for them. And he was so interested in people's lives. He wanted to get to know people deeply because he actually really, really cared for them. He prayed for people and he performed a life changing miracles. And the striking thing is that he didn't want to be publicly seen in many of these circumstances. He was so humble and he wanted to wait until it was the right time to be seen and heard. And then when he was seen and heard and people started hearing uh, words of, he's the Messiah, he's the chosen one, he was hated and he was despised. Even though he had led a generous and humble life helping others, helping his family, helping his friends. He was hated and he was taken to a cross to die an undeserved criminal's death. <clears throat> so right there on the cross, when Jesus hung naked, he was shamed, he was humiliated, he was looked upon by many onlookers, but God was at work. God had started to shake things up. It says in Matthew 27, when Jesus died on the cross, that the earth shook. It wasn't just a little earthquake. It was, it was the earth was shaking. It was visible to everyone that something had changed in that moment. The, uh, the world went dark. The earth was moved. And God, in his mighty power, had started a redeeming work for all who put their trust in him. At this point, the enemies of God were overturned. Satan was crushed, death was defeated, and salvation was there, ready for those who put their trust in him. This is not silent work. God could not do this in silence. It was ground-moving stuff. But this bit wasn't the end, thankfully. Three days later, after the, his horrendous death, Jesus rose in victory. 
Our not-so-impressive Zerubbabel-like man rose from the grave. This is the power of our king. This is who defeated all sin and death, and that is the God that we get to worship today. And a day is coming in the future when Jesus will return again, and the heavens and the earth will shake, and the thrones and kingdoms will be overthrown. And there, Christ, the true signet ring, will have complete authority and have complete rule and reign over his Father's kingdom here on earth. And that will be the last time that the earth will need to shake. That's going to be the last time that that has to happen because once Jesus is uh, enthroned on high, that's going to be forever. That's going to be for eternity. And we as believers will be relishing in that and being with him. So what does this mean for us today? Well, let's look at the New Testament in Luke 10. It says, Jesus says to his disciples, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And another verse in Matthew 28, we can read, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth will be given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in essence, Jesus gave his disciples his signet ring. He did this by giving them his Holy Spirit. And this is the same Holy Spirit that we as believers have today. We are Jesus' signet ring here on earth. So just like a signet ring was used for a promise, for an agreement, with the king's signing agreement, using the signet ring, the Holy Spirit is a seal for us, a promise that he is going to be with us until he returns in glory. And just like a signet ring has the, has the owner's name impressed on it, the Holy Spirit, who is entirely God, is impressed on us as believers. It is a marking of his power and of his presence here on earth. For those who witnessed signet rings being used to verify documents, they would know who it belonged to and whose authority it used. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a witness to all those around us of who we belong to and whose authority we have been given. For those actually using the king's signet rings, maybe the kings or those that they passed them on to, that carried the king's complete authority and by God giving us his Holy Spirit, he has given us his authority to use. And that is, as it says here, by his Spirit to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them. And while we do all these things, he promises to be with us always. He doesn't just say, well, do it, do it yourself now. He's actually saying, no, I'm going to be with you by my Spirit. So that is why we're here on earth. I know so often... We can forget the main reasons why we're here. We can easily get so uh, bogged down in the, in the day-to-day life. But it's so, it says so very clearly in God's word what our promises are actually to do. If we are followers of Jesus, he's given us his Holy Spirit to do mighty works for him. We can seal things on his behalf. We've got that authority. We can pray for miracles to happen because he's given us that power. And how are we to live with this authority? Are we, are we meant to brag and, and boast in this amazing authority that we've been given? No. We are 
told to follow in our humble servant king's footsteps by being loving towards others, by looking after the outcasts, by looking after the, uh, the vulnerable, by being gentle and humble, by serving those around us here in church and those in our communities and giving him all the praise because he is worthy of it all. It's not our authority, it's not our power, it's his and he is worthy of it. We can read all about Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels, of how he lived. And I'd recommend if you haven't read them, then, then read the four Gospels because this is who Jesus is. And this is who we want to be like. But we can only be like him because of his Holy Spirit that he's given us. If you believe in Jesus here this morning, do you believe that God wants to work with you? Do you believe that actually this Holy Spirit is for you? Not just for the person next to you, but for you. Do you believe that this Holy Spirit is a seal on your life? That he sees you as a child, that he wants to give it to you, and he wants to give you his authority to, great, to do great things in his name. When we receive God in our hearts, this is life-changing stuff. I know for myself, when I receive the Holy Spirit, my life changes. I change, and that's because God is in me. I'm sure that if you speak to someone that has also received God in their lives, they'll be able to tell you, yeah, my life has changed because of God. My life has changed because his Holy Spirit lives in me. You're not your old person anymore. You are who God has created you to be. This is the stuff that we need to phone home about. This is the stuff we need to tell everybody about. Because when we grasp what power and might God has and what he's capable of, capable of and what he promises to do, then this should make us live in awe of him. One day he's going to return. One day the, the heavens are going to shake, the earth is going to shake, and all these things that I've mentioned earlier are going to come true. They're going to happen, and he's going to, he's going to bring complete um, justice and restoration. This powerful God has the ability to shake things up. But this is the same God who came humbly to this earth, and he wants to have a personal relationship with each one of us. And this is the God the powerful God that we get to call Father. So I'm going to end in a minute and we're going to spend some time taking bread and wine together. And while we do that, and, and let us look to God, our Father. Let us remember the strength and might that he has. As I've already said, he defeated enemy, the enemy of sin and death on that cross. He's already done it. We don't need to worry about it because he's done it. And one day he's going to uh, come back and he's going to reign and rule victorious. So let us spend time thanking him for his humble obedience when he walked on this earth and his humble obedience while he was on the cross. Because of what he did on the cross, it meant that we could come to know the Father once again. So let us ask him for his Holy Spirit to come into our hearts. Maybe you've never experienced God in your heart before. Maybe you've never asked the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. There's always a first time. And that could be today. All you need to say is, God, come into my heart. Maybe you've had the Holy Spirit before. Great, let's ask for more. Because God really wants to meet with each one of us this morning. I was reminded of the song uh, this morning, um, I'm going to try and quote it, but I'll probably forget uh, the Lion of Judah. The God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah, roaring with power and fighting our battles. But then it also continues. God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. 
and then something else. Um, I can't remember what it is. Um, but that's who we worship. God the lion, but also God the lamb. So let us, um, I'm going to ask Paul to lead us in communion, if that's okay. But yeah, let's, let's worship him. Let's open our hearts to what he wants to do with us this morning.